Greetings. I'm back. Kevin Saunders of the Arizona Bible Class, and this is the second part of a two-part lecture that focuses on the Gospel reading for September 20th, the year 2020. I will now address the parable of Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. In part one of the lecture series that was a necessary reality, uh, I addressed the backstory, which built up the context for Jesus teaching this particular parable. The reason this particular lecture is in two parts is because of a technical glitch, uh, not for any other reason, and I think I've sort of worked all of that out. But uh, bear with me now and make sure you listen to part one. I think it's about 11 or 12 minutes in duration so that you'll understand why Jesus would speak in parabolic manner uh, in our gospel for this coming weekend. Jesus teaches in parables when large crowds are gathered before him that he might never have an opportunity to address again or to teach individually. So a parable, as you are well aware, is cast before them or alongside them, a story that engages them, that intrigues them, because there's a shock element within it that arrests their listening skills and leaves their mind in doubt as to the precise meaning or intent of the parable that Jesus is presenting. So they're open-ended. There's not a happily ever after sort of obvious conclusion to be drawn. You have to do the theological math yourself. And remember, essentially, what inspires Jesus to teach this particular parable is a statement made in the last verse of Matthew chapter 19. But remember, speaking to Peter, the representative of the apostles and all the apostles and disciples by extension, many who are first will be last and the last will be first because he's just dismissed lovingly a rich young man who had been challenged to divest himself of the support provided by his family, leaving that behind, he would be then invited to come and follow Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, he's called a rich young man. In Mark's account, the memory of Peter's preaching, there's the detail that Jesus looked on that young man with love, felt a sense of attachment to him. And again, Jesus said, it's far more difficult for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning it's a real challenge. And what is impossible with man is only possible with God. But he may, he may come back. And if he does, even at the last moment, he will receive the same honor and accord as those who have been with Jesus from the beginning. Remember, many who are first, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and by extension, the other apostles and disciples will be last. And the last will be first. It's not a reversal so much as it is an equanimity. Everyone will be equal in the kingdom of God, even though some, like Peter and the other 11, will, as Jesus promised in his glory, be seated on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's an honorific reality. At the end of time, all will be welcome into eternity's embrace. The first will be as valuable as the last. The last will be as honored and valuable as the first. And then 
the parable. You see, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, in Mark and in Luke, the kingdom of God, synonymous, is like a landowner who went out at dawn to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, this would assume that the vintage crop was ripe to be picked, and it needed to be picked as efficiently and as quickly as possible. The grapes coming to ripeness all at the same time. That's why you have a wall around your vineyard. That's why the production facility to produce the wine is within that walled structure. And it's why you have a watchtower. Because your fruit at a particular moment in time for a day or two is most vulnerable to thievery. And so you have to guard it carefully. And so you want to have access to that fruit as uniformly as possible. And to do that, you would secure day laborers, men who would be waiting for an invitation to come and work for you at an agreed rate, a day's wage, typically a denarius was the coin of the realm for that purpose. And you would imagine the landowner in this parable would know exactly how many laborers he needed, right? But somehow he miscalculates and he'll need more and more and more. Again, an image of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is going to grow exponentially. You think you got it figured out. You think you have enough. You think you have it all sourced and ready to go. And then suddenly there's a new and fresh demand. And so you'll see how the owner of the vineyard handles that. Now, when he finds what he thinks to be the requisite needed number of laborers, he agrees with them, for the usual day's wage, that's the denarius, and he sent them into his vineyard. Let's imagine they begin working at 6 a.m. Going out about 9 o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, not because they didn't want to work, but simply because they had not been offered work that particular day. In the Middle East, it is uh, honor accorded the owner of the property to come and offer employment to those day laborers. They don't solicit that work. They don't present themselves with uh, resumes or curriculum vitae that make the owner aware of their particular gift, talent, and ability. They simply say, we are here and you have occasion to hire us. And so that's the reality behind the parable's detail going out about nine o'clock because he realizes he doesn't have enough laborers in the vineyard yet to complete the task in a timely manner. He saw others standing idle and said to them, they're not lazy. They're waiting for an offer of employment. You too go into my vineyard and I will give you what is just. So you will work three hours less than the others, but we'll sort it all out. And you would imagine from the perspective of the original listening audience that if you're going to be paid for a 12 hour day, and let's say you are going to be paid a dollar an hour, I'm just making this up. Well, the original workers would receive $12 at the end of the day. And the workers that start at 9am, $9 for the day, etc, etc. So they went off. And in verse 5, he went out again, this time around noon, halfway through the day, and around 3 o'clock again, and did likewise. Now, this is a compelling aspect of the parable, because as I mentioned earlier, you would imagine this landowner would know specifically how many laborers 
are needed to complete the task. And yet, at 6 o'clock, thinking he had enough, he didn't. At 9 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, at 3 o'clock, still more laborers are entering in. And remember what motivates the parable? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. These latecomers to the harvest festival had been told, as we are to imagine, that they will receive payment, they will be given what is just, and any amount of the day worked is better than no part of the day employed. And so if you only make a few hours work available, at least that's something. And then in verse six, going out again, even at five o'clock in the evening, he found others standing around and said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they answered, culturally appropriately, by the way, it's because no one has hired us. No one has, now think about this, invited us to an employment situation. Remember, Jesus invited the rich young man in Matthew chapter 19 when he said to him in verse 21, if you wish to be mature, perfect, whole, complete, go sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. So that's the idea of the invitation. And they're saying, look, we are not idlers. We're capable and willing to work, but we haven't been invited to an employment situation. And you have to understand that from the Middle Eastern perspective of the narrative. Otherwise, it sounds like these guys are just lazy do-nothings who avoided work the whole of the day. So they respond in verse 7, it's because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you too go into my vineyard. Remember, as I mentioned in part one, whenever a Jewish rabbinic teacher speaks about a vineyard, he's always in the back of his mind imaging the listeners as well. Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 to 3. My beloved had a vineyard, right? God is the owner of the vineyard. God is the one who is soliciting these employees, right? From the opening of the day right up to the hour before sunset. Now, here's the shock. When it was evening, in verse 8, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, summon the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and ending with the first. Now, that's a shock, right? Because some of those gathered there had been working in the hot sun, harvesting the grapes in the fall of the year for the better part of 12 hours. And now they're going to have to wait while others who, in some cases, have only been there an hour, three hours, six hours, are going to receive their pay. It sets everything up so perfectly because, again, in the mind's eye of the listening audience, those first employed get to see what's going on as everyone lines up in reverse order, rather like being in elementary school. And of course, we all remember lining up according to the last name and the letter that it began with. I'm Saunders, so it was at the end of the line. And every now and then the teacher would switch it up and put those with the last names starting with Z or T or S in front, right? Again, you pay attention now because of what's happening. And so when it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, summon the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and ending with the first. That's a shock. That's not typical. Now, when those who had started 
about five o'clock, had only been there for an hour, came forward, each received the usual daily wage, which means they received a denarius, a single coin worth whatever it was worth at that time, but was exchanged for a day's labor. I don't know what it would be equivalent to now, but whatever a day's work would bring economically. So the last receiving the full day's wage had only worked for an hour. So when the first group came, they thought that they would receive so much more. But each of them also got the usual wage. But they had worked for 12 hours agreeing upon that wage. And the others had only worked a fraction of that amount. And of course, upon receiving it, they grumbled against the landowner who in the parable is imaged to be God because this is a parable about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, saying, these last ones worked only an hour and you have made them equal to us who bore the day's burden and the heat. And again, you have to imagine in the parable's vision, they have to wait those who came first as those who worked an hour, three hours, six hours, and nine hours, all received their full day's wage. And so you would imagine the anticipation of those who had worked the whole day. We're going to receive twice as much as they, because we were first and they were last. But that's not the teaching of Jesus. Remember, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first, everyone will receive the same wage, which is the gift of eternity's embrace in the kingdom of heaven. So they complain. And he said in verse 13 to one of them in reply, as Jesus had been speaking to one of the apostles, Peter representing all the others, my friend, I'm not cheating you. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage. And of course, that deal had been brokered in the public square before the work began. And others had heard that that was the agreed upon sum. So take what is yours and go. What if I wish to give this last one the same as you? Again, a wooden translation. It doesn't really ring uh, eloquently. Basically, in the parable, what's it to you if I wish to give this last one the same as you. And again, in the parable's imagery, the understanding would be perhaps that that last hired employee who was only there an hour is so overwhelmed that he received an entire day's wage for one hour of work or an entire year's salary for one month of work that he's right there at the master's side. He's so delighted in this engagement, he doesn't want to go anywhere. So what's it to you if I give this last one the same as you? Am I not free to do as I wish with my own money? And then the question, then the challenge of the parable, are you envious because I am generous? Does that tick you off because I'm generous, because I am merciful, because I am kind, because I honor the effort of all? Does that make you envious. Thus, in verse 16, the last will be first and the first will be last. Now again, is this parable concluding with an open end? Sure it is, because we don't know 
what the first workers are going to do in response. We just have the story come to an end and have to do the theological math ourselves. Again, we learn about the landowner, an image of God from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, that that landowner depicted as God, my beloved, had a vineyard that he planted, is a God of generosity and is a God of mercy and is a God of equanimity, right? When it comes to salvation, we've been in the game a long time and our reward will be identical to those who call out on the Lord of the heaven and earth to save them with their last dying breath. And we can't be envious. Again, it's teaching to Peter, Andrew, James, John, the other apostles and disciples who have been with Jesus now for the better part of two plus years. These are his graduate students, and he is taking them toward Jerusalem in chapter 21, the triumphant entry. He's preparing them for these very difficult moments that are in the very near future. So again, the parable, the genius of the theological mind of Jesus at work. They never cease to amaze me, and I hope amaze you as well. So until next week, that's all this teacher has the time to do, but I always will remind you never to forget what a great student you are. God bless.